hello? Uh, hello? Hi. Hi. Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold, and there's all kinds of Sean's going on today. Got another Sean in the studio, and not only is he a Sean, but damn it, he spells it right, <laughs> which is a, which I have problems with all the time. My guest today is a guy that I've been friends with for about 300 years. Uh, he is uh, the founder of Brand Lift Marketing, Sean Greenway. What's up, my man? What's up, dog? Two Sean's in the same studio. Scary thing. Uh, I've never understood, like, I, I, I get it because I know that, like, the Irish is the S-E-A-N. I still mm-hmm. don't know how they get a sh- sound out of there. I understand mm-hmm. they do it, but I've just never gotten it. No offenses to any scenes that are listening True. to this. True. But I feel like my our way is at least phonetic. Like, at least yeah. it sounds the way it's spelled. Yeah, and I've had many people before, and they're like, well, how do you spell it? And I said, well, my mom says there's only one way. It says H-A-W-N. It's the only way. Yeah. It's the only way. So you other guys just, you know, go change it. Yep, too bad. Go to the clerk's office. Probably <laughs> doesn't cost much. 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I don't now, know. now, I did know a guy uh, went to school with elementary school. It was S-H-O-N. You never hear that much. Yeah, so we a guy from Cartersville spelled it that way that we knew who unfortunately passed away. Um, Sean Howard. Yes. Um, S-H-A-U-N I've seen. Mm-hmm. A few times. I still think our way is superior. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> All the cool ones. Cool so, man, thanks for coming down from the from the great white north. Yeah. The Seaville. Sea Vegas. Sea Vegas. That's right. Sea Town. Um, call it. <laughs> down to the booming metropolis of, of Mableton, <laughs> Smyrna, Mableton. Yeah, yay. Here we are. Um, it's been... Uh, it's been a long time since we've been in the same room. I think so. If, if if I remember correctly, it may have been since your wedding. And that's been what, fourteen years, something like that? Uh oh six. So this September will be fourteen years. Yeah. So it's been a while. But you know, of course that's you know, life, your career, my careers and stuff like that. But even though we're not that far away, it's just weird how long it takes. And good lesson though, you know, no reason to go this long so we're gonna cut that short again isn't it interesting yeah. how at, at the risk of sounding a little bit sexist um isn't it i've always felt like with guys like what i would consider like my boys you know like guys that were your friends like your running buddies back in the day um i can not talk to people for years and then when you get back together you just you just slide right back into it yeah you you pick up right where you left off it it is cool like that and i feel like sometimes with my wife's friends if they don't call her in like three weeks they start to hate each other (laughs) (laughs) this is true this is true like it's it's an almost an interesting study in sort of how people view relationships but there's very it feels like there's a lot less animus because you know sometimes holly will be like well, you haven't heard you talk about so-and-so in forever. And I'm like, yeah, we hadn't talked. And, you know, it's like, what, you think he's mad at you? I'm like, no, he's probably just busy. Yeah, yeah. You know? They do. They analyze it a little bit different. And it's the same way I've got, I've probably got two or three other uh, good friends of mine, just like me and you. And I might not talk to them, you know, for three or four months on the phone. And 
same thing. Pick up, just like we talked yesterday. Just, just how it is. I mean, guys are different that way. Yeah, I don't. Um, I'm glad I'm not. Uh, it just feels like a lot of extra stuff to worry about. It's almost like life gives you enough stuff to worry about without having to. As I say to my wife a lot, like, don't import drama. Like, life's you got to. There's everybody's got enough drama on their own. You don't have to start oh, yeah. dragging it in from other places. Yeah, I, th- I think everybody. Everybody thinks they know other people and what they're thinking, what they're worried about. But really, at the end of the day, we all got our own lives. You get up, you do your thing, you work, family. And then if you get time to catch up with a friend, you know, it's not good to go a long time, I guess, in between times. But, I mean, life's life. You know, we're all trying to make it. Life is life. <laughs> well, before we get into specifics about, you know, I, I definitely want to talk about your your business and those sorts of things. I one of the things I really like about or, or the reasons why I've sort of done this podcast is to look at people's journey and how they sort of get to where they are. Um, I will say just to preface this for people that don't know Sean. Um, and another reason these podcasts are interesting is, is like there'll be people that listen to this because they know I do this and they don't know you. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll probably share this out and people that do know you will listen to this. And so everyone's perspective is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was telling, I was telling my wife that we were going to talk today. We were talking on the phone last night. She's in New York working on a story. And, uh, I said, one of the things that we, so we just got to talking about you. Cause it was the whole, like, you know, do you remember, you know, Sean, right. And then yeah, he was at the wedding. And I said, yeah, one of the things about Sean that's like, when I think about you, um, just as a person <laughs> over the years, we've known each other. You, like me, have done a lot of different things, right, relative to career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like one of, if I had to pick one trait that I am most envious about of you or what I think is kind of your superpower is I feel like any time in life that you've ever tried something or done something relative, to, even if it's career or hobby or whatever, you are very like if you decide you're going to do it, like come hell or high water, you're going to go do it. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people are like that. Like, I think a lot of people are the opposite. Like they think it's a good idea. They start doing it. And the minute it gets a little hard, they're just like, I'm out. Yep. They eject. And I don't think you're like that. Like I, or I know you're not right. Like anytime right. you've ever said, I'm really interested in this, I'm going to go try to do it. Mm-hmm. The next time we talk, like you're in, mm-hmm. like you're, you're all the way in. All in baby. Have you always been like that? You know, I mean, for the most part, you know, if we take it back, you know, I just turned 50 this past December. If you go back, I started out um, out of high school. You know, I didn't go to college. I did do some tech school right out of college and didn't really know what direction I wanted to go. So at 19, I had an opportunity to go work for UPS. So I won't tell you that whole story, but I, I spent 10 years UPS. And the whole time I was at UPS, I, you know, became a driver after about four years, you know, worked preload got to a uh, driver, did that. I never really loved what I was doing. And I knew that there was always something more that I wanted to do, but I never could figure it out. You know, the last two or three years I was there, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, every day I was, I would play it in my mind. You know, there's, there's more, there's more. And I would be studying and just learning new things, but never knew. So towards the end, I started, 
um, finding different courses to uh, to go through and just trying to learn about myself because here I was, you know, didn't go through college like everybody else did. And th- at the time, I kind of felt bad about that. But now that I look back, it's probably the best thing that ever happened was not going to college, even though I do recommend it to some people out there, but not everybody. But I was going through the, what I call the school of hard knocks, right? Had a good job, had the house, the, the motorcycle, every, I thought I had everything, right? And as I was going through that, I was like, man, this, this, this ain't right. I mean, I'm not doing what I need to do, you know? And back then thinking to myself, you know, God gave me plenty potential. And that's one of the things that I even talk to about nowadays is, is trying to help people try to reach their potential. So long story short, got the last two years, gentleman approached me about getting into the, the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think you've heard me tell this story. That's actually how I got away from UPS. The last year that I was there, I started training, you know, I was, I was in the brown truck during the day and then three nights a week I was in the ring practicing the other days I was in the gym lifting because I was a beast back then. Well, we were friends at this point. So I remember like when we met, you were still driving for UPS. Yes. And that back when we were hanging together, UPS hit that, started training. And then realistically, man, it was like six months before I left UPS. Um, not long after that, the guy that had trained me, God rest his soul, he passed away about 10 years ago. Um, he came up to me one day and he said, he said, he said, I think you're ready. I said, excuse me. He said, I, I'm going to, I'm going to book you next weekend out in, you know, one of the local towns and I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> so it, it got real, really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So sure enough, that next weekend trolled out there, had got my first match in. It was awesome. A few weeks later, I did my first official match in front of family and friends. You know, I didn't tell anybody. They got that first one out of the way, you know, to get the, get the kinks out, get the, all the, uh, nervous energy out. But, uh, shortly after that, uh, put in, uh, or basically went into the office UPS and told them like, I'm done. You know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I knew I was going to wrestle, but, um, I was at the point where I hated what I was doing. I knew I could do more. So the wrestling business allowed me to say, you know what, let me go chase a dream. Even if this is, even if I can't make it, I got to get away. So back to what you asked a minute ago, that was really my first time that I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. And because of taking that chance, I got out there, spent right about two years out and about on the road, got to meet a lot of the, the, uh, the guys that we grew up, you know, everybody from seeing the Rock and Roll Express to uh, the Iron Sheik, hmm. um, you know, uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, a lot of these other ones I got to run into. And my, as a matter of fact, my very last match was against Scott Armstrong. I don't know if you remember. Oh, Armstrong's. sure. Yeah. And shortly after that, he he went back to WW, WWE to be a ref. I think in the you know in the two thousands. So anyway, so pulling forward from there, yeah, me leaving going into the wrestling business really made me realize that. And I can go do anything I want to. Yeah, there's a, I, I sort of have a similar, when I, so a little bit different. I mean, I obviously went to college, but then the thing that I did that everybody sort of cocked their head a little bit, which probably you had people in your, around you that 
when you're like, I think I'm going to go try to do this wrestling thing. And people are like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I got done with school and done playing baseball, when I to do the music thing, to go out on the road with the band, they're like, you just graduated from college with a degree from a really good private school. And you're going to go jump in a van and like <laughs> drive around and play music yep. like in bars for 30 people. Like, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, And I said, you know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, but what other like. If I don't do this now. When will I ever do it? That's right. A- and what do, what do I lose? What do I stand to lose? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Like you feel like you're going to lose a lot. Mm-hmm. But really, like. It's like, I, you know, it's not like I mortgaged my house and, you know, like did something crazy where I was putting myself at risk. I just was maybe sacrificing some money I could make, like guaranteed money, right, in exchange for, yeah. you know, I could pay rent. I, I was able to eat. I, you know, d- it's not like I was defaulting on loans or, you know, not paying bills. Yep. So, but I always thought that that attitude, it just sort of reinforced what I was telling you earlier about that attitude is just, there's so many people that are just, I don't know what... Cause I don't have it. It's hard for me to analyze it, but like where the fear comes from, like, I think I can under rationalize where it is like for most people, because stability versus instability. Most people tend to gravitate towards, you know, something that's like the mm-hmm. sure thing. Like pe- most people tend to gravitate towards a sure thing, but I feel like people that really are able to be in, like make change or, or you have to have a little of that. Like I, you can't be worried about the unknown. You've oh, yeah. got to sort of embrace it and say, yeah, but the unknown, it might be something really rad, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it, yeah. Could it not work? Sure. Yeah. But if it doesn't, I mean, again, I'm just not like I'm doing, I'm not like I'm going to get die or get a bloody nose. Like I just go, Oh, well that didn't work. That's right. So now I can go do something else. Yeah. And that, that, and that's how it hit me when, you know, when I stepped away and got in, you know, in the ring like that, like you're talking about 30 people, that's about how it was. Cause you know, they see these guys on TV thinking, oh, man, they just walked right into that. And that's just not the truth. The The wrestling business is no different from the music business. You don't start out, like Kentra saying, you don't start out in Nashville and doing videos and you're Luke Bryan or whatever. You start out in a honky-tonk or a, a, a pub with a guitar in the corner, right, hoping that you might get paid, right? Same thing in wrestling, dude. I mean, I can't tell you how many places I went to from a barn to, you know, there were a few places we... A Walmart a, parking lot in Aniston. Close. <laughs> close. Aniston was one of the first places I went, but, you know, uh, an old auction auction building or whatever. And it didn't matter because it's about honing your skills to try to get to the next level. And um, because most people don't know this, but um, when AJ Styles first started out, he was I mean, basically a kid. He was, what, 19? And at the time, I was 29 when I was getting in the business. So I had 10 years on him, but I run into him at a few of the places we were at. And we uh, we were in, it was in Gainesville, Georgia at the, I think it's called, it was called the White Horse um, Saloon. And it may still be there. So we had a match and we had a bunch of matches in there. But even back then, this kid, you know, they, they've seen him the past few years. He's won the heavyweight belt, I think, several times, WWE. Um, they think, oh, you know, he's probably just ain't been in the business too many years. That guy's been in for 20 years. He had to put in the time. So that was one of the things about the wrestling business that I realized is that if you work your ass off, put in the time, do the things, do without, because, you know, just like in the music business, you do without a lot when you're first starting. Just same with that. 
Now, fortunately, unfortunately, I, I never made it to the what they call the top. You know, I had a lot of uh, opportunities. I had a had a couple of different opportunities where I could have went to Japan, could have went to Europe, did some of the tours, uh, chose not to. Um, so at the end of my short career, what do you want to call it? Traveled all over the, the Southeast. Um, last stint was with GCW out of Columbus, Georgia. So the whole time that I was in that business, I, I played it over in my head again. Is like, I'm doing something that I only dreamed about when I was a kid. If I can do this, what else could I do? And that's where it all started. So, you know, you fast forward 20 years from that, there's, I've been in multiple, multiple things, as have you. And, um, you know, ups and downs, I've, I've crashed. I've been to the top and everything in between. But the whole thing is the progression of getting better, learning new things, and trying to reach my potential. And it took all of those things, even, you know, UPS, UPS to the wrestling business, to insurance, to owning a couple other businesses, um, the mortgage industry. That's where I left last. I was eight years in the mortgage business. All of these things have led me to a point that I am now. But going back on your point is that, yeah, I mean, now I'm 50. I'm not scared to, to, to go at it anything, even if I don't know it. If I don't know the industry, if it's something that I want to do, feel like I need to do, then I'm just going to go after it. Yeah, and I think there's a certain element of, uh, you know, this is also sort of a mistake that I think I see people make is that there's an element of, of, of learning, right? Like, um, with anything, you have to take time to develop expertise. And I think there's a lot of people and, you, you know, and I don't think this is me taking a knock at younger people. I think this is true for every young person, especially young in their career. You get a lot of like, oh, well, I could do that. Like you see somebody that's really good at something and you almost want to, it's ego, right? And it's mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, I can do that. And you don't think about, well, think about how many hours or thousands of hours like someone has put in to get to where they are really good at something. Are there rare cases where some people are, you know, have a, a, a predisposition or, you know, a talent, right? That it makes it easier for them. Sure. Right. But still, I think that, you know, to your point, it's like not only wanting to do it is sort of half the battle. The second part is, is do I need, am I prepared to put in the time I got to put in to actually to use a video game term, get good. Yeah. Right. Like, because you can't just go do it right. Then you got it. So it's like, okay, I want to do it. I'm going to prepare myself to do it. Now I got to go get good. Then let me see if I can execute on a plan or whatever. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can do the get good thing in parallel. Like I'm not at the end of the post to be like, well, Hey, if you just want to dive in and see if you can do it, but you got to be prepared to fall down a few times. <laughs> I think even if you get good, you got to be prepared to fall down because you're always going to fall down to a degree, um, from time to time. But there's just a, there's an amount of work. I, there are very few cases where I think people that are, that are ultimately super successful get there without grinding somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, wrestling is like an example, music, any sports, you know, you see these guys in 
the pro league, you know, any pick a pro league, doesn't matter, NBA, MLB, NFL, and they see him making millions of dollars and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, but they didn't just, you're talking about the top 0.1% in the world of people that can do that, right? They're, they're at a level you can't wrap your head around, yeah. right? And they've killed themselves getting there. I mean, baseball more than others, because, you know, you don't see them the six years they spent in the minor leagues riding around on a ratty bus making $1,000 a month. That's right. You know, or riding around doing little shows in front of nobody. Um, or like, if again, if you're starting a business in the early years when you can't hire people and you're developing business and you're delivering on the product and you're doing your accounting and you're <laughs> filing your taxes and you've got to just, if it's going to get done, you've got to rely on yourself to do it. Um, because there's no structure and you've got to build it to a point. And most of the time that's going to be your brick and mortar. Like you're going to be out shoveling dirt until the hole's big enough to get some more people in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's just not easy. So I, I appreciate, I think that's an admirable quality. I don't think, I don't know that a ton of people have it. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think the word I was looking for earlier, it's about commitment. I think up until about, even when I got in the wrestling business, you know, that was a commitment to say, okay, I'm going to leave uh, <laughs> money, stability, and I'm going to dive right into to basically nothing because, you know, in the wrestling business, just like the music industry, you start out, you're lucky you make 20 bucks a night, right? You're just going to hustling is basically all you're doing. And even if you can make a little bit, it's still not sustainable until you can get to a level to where, you know, back in those days, I was on the road. They were, because they were both, you know, WCW <laughs> and uh, WWF, I guess, at the time. They were handing out developmental contracts left and right. And guys were just hustling, jockeying to try to get a hold of those developmental contracts, even though the money wasn't really good with the developmental, but it was a way for the, the top guys to basically brand you, get a hold of you so that you can't talk to the other one. And they're like, okay, you get ready. In case we give you the call, we're going to bring you up. Kind of like, I guess, baseball, minors, the farm, or whatever, farm team, farm league. So going through all that really taught me a big lesson. And, you know, I used to joke about this all the time. I was like, if I can run around in my underwear in the ring, I, I, like, a fool, <laughs> I like a fool, I can do anything, right? Sure. And see, and, and a lot of people don't realize, if the ones that know me now, they don't know the Sean – Growing up through high school and even right out of high school, I was typically a shy guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as like outgoing and in the life of the party, like kind of like you are, like you go to you and your wife, y'all go to parties, you're, you're openly just, you know, talkative and kind of life of the party. I'm generally not that way. I'm an introvert really for the most part, but as I got through those years at UPS and got into the wrestling and was like, here I am out in front of these people, you know, with boxers, briefs, whatever on, you know, wrestling <laughs> like that. It, it loosened me up a little bit. Let's just say that. And then over the years of doing other businesses, really the, uh, the psychology of, of all the things that I've went through with business and uh, sales led me up to where I am now. And this we're talking about a minute ago, brand lift marketing is really because of, of years of failure. People always, talk about wins and this and that, whether it's sports or business. But for me, you know, I, I've learned to embrace what Gary V talks about, 
you know, Gary Vaynerchuk about, you know, love to fail, love the failure. And I kind of do, because if it wasn't for me screwing up all those years and going through all these learning processes and ups and downs, there's no way to be where I'm at now. So the last part of that is, you know, eight years of being a loan officer and a lot of people that might be listening to this already know this story, but I'm going to tell it again real quick. So I got in the business, loan business, right right after the crash, you know, 08, 09, you know, the uh, real estate market crash, all that good stuff, uh, foreclosures, just, you know, builders just leaving their leaving subdivisions, stopped building. And I was, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine and I was helping her with a little side hustle I had at the time I was doing credit repair. I was working like a regular job, but I was doing credit repair on the side to make a little extra money. And one day I was sitting with her and, uh, she said, Sean, you need to get in the, uh, the loan business. I'm like, nah, cause at the time, it, you know, another thing come along is like, that just seems too hard. You know, that's what I was thinking to myself. I didn't tell her that. I was thinking, it's just, I don't know nothing about loans. <laughs> she kept on and on. And then finally it happened to be like tax season. I said, I don't know. You know, I, I just don't know if I can do that. So she, she reached in her drawer and I can't make this up. She pulled out her uh, tax return cause it was tax season. She said, last year was a bad year. She said, but this is how much I made last year. <laughs> I looked down at the bottom. I was like, this number right here. She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, how do I get a license? <laughs> how do I get a license? <laughs> and so I'll tell you the quick part of that is that uh, within like two weeks, I'd already signed up to go, you know, try to do the course, do all that. I was still working another job now. So what I did as a, and I did it the wrong way. I paid for like the online version of the course where they, you know, you can do it online and I hate doing stuff online. And if I had to go back, I would go to a class, but so I printed it all out like an idiot. And, uh, so here I am trying to study. I'm working, you know, still doing life and I'm trying to study and I'm trying to cram it all in. And finally, I finally passed. As soon as I passed the test, um, the lady I was going to work with, she said, Oh, we're going to another company. Uh, do you want to go over with us? I'm like, well, yeah. It's like, I don't even know anything. So, so I went with them and in that industry. It, it's common to, to change companies, you know, every couple of years because of different structures, whether it be pay or the loan programs. So, um, and I'm sure she's going to hear this. So she's going to appreciate me talking about all this, but they went to another company. And they're like, you want to go with us? I'm like, well, yeah, because I still didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. We did that about uh, three times, maybe even four. The fourth time we landed with a company and I met some of the other people at the company and a gentleman approached me, wanted me to work with him. So long story short on that, um, spent the rest of my time there, total of eight years in the loan industry, met lots of real estate agents, lots of loan officers, last two or three years. I was there more and more agents, real estate agents were approaching me, wanting me to help them with their Facebook, their videos, some of their marketing, because they saw what I was doing when, what I was kind of teaching a little bit. And, uh, one day kind of a light bulb went off and I'm like, this is what I need to be doing. Cause I loved it anyway, the marketing side of things, you know, cause I love the psychology of marketing, you know, putting a, a piece of content out there and seeing how people react to something or don't react. 
And that always fascinated me even back when I was, you know, back when we were kids, you know. So, so let me, let me stop you for a second because I, I, I know you're going through the story, but I, I was obviously seeing some of, you know, this from as someone, yeah. as a friend of yours yeah. and seeing it. And one thing I think you not glossed over, but as you're moving through the story, what I think you're referencing, which I saw it is when you had the loan business, mm-hmm. um, the first thing that I remember noticing was you were doing, I think it was like Facebook live videos or Facebook or videos mm-hmm. where you were like walking around your office, introducing people to your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that was the first bit of thing, but I feel like mm-hmm. that was pretty early when you really started to get mm-hmm. into like, what kind of content can I put out around, mm-hmm. around, Right. Was that how it got started where you were just yeah. sort of highlighting your company stuff? And, and I will say this too, to give a shout out to a mentor of mine, uh, Grant Cardone. Really, that's kind of how it all started because I was at a point in the mortgage career to where I was doing good, but I wasn't doing good enough. I was like, I want to get to that next level. And I was never like, you know, top 10, you know, you know, originator to begin with because I was too much of a perfectionist. And you just can't be a perfectionist and do some of those things because you just got to keep going. So I slowed down a minute, started, you know, researching stuff. And I found Grant Cardone, and some of his teachings. And uh, I, then I really went after it. Then I started growing. I got an assistant and then I got another one. So I had a team. and I was rocking with that. And one of the things that he was really talking about and teaching was about video, social media. And I'd already been you know, it's just like anybody else. I was already using it, you know, for whatever friends, all that good stuff. But, um, I started dabbling as they say, like, let me try an ad. Let me try a video. First time I, uh, got the guts up to do a video and then post it. And, and I tell the story all the time. I probably recorded one 20, 30 times before, I, <laughs> before I said, that's not too bad because we're all critical of ourselves, sure. right? Back then, I was like, Shh, I don't know. But I finally found one, posted it, and with like 24, 48 hours, had a thousand views. And I'm like, okay, there's something to this. And that's how I started, really. And there's a lot of people that start that way. And you're right. Um, what I quick figured out really quick was that was about it getting attention. Um, and that's what Grant Cardone teaches. You know, you got to get attention first because if they don't know you, how are you going to do business with them? And, you know, there were just, there's tons of loan officers out there. There's a lot of good ones. There's bad ones. Um, there's ones that don't do anything. But I was kind of somewhere in the middle. They knew who I were, just like you. They they knew, okay, he's, he's a cool guy, whatever, whatever. But I just wasn't getting the attention that I needed to. And, I, and, that, and that's what I quickly figured out. So I started getting the attention with videos. I learned, you know, I kind of screwed up my way to figuring out how to do ads. But as I got towards the end of the um, the career of doing loans, uh, I took a couple of courses. I took the Ty Lopez social media course. And then I met, which is now a business partner of mine, Javier. He was already doing this stuff. He had his own little agency with another guy. And we got, when we got talking and going through things, I was like, and I was also doing you know, a lot of the video side. I said, why don't we, why don't we join forces? I said, I think we can do this because he had all the true technical side of everything and knew how to do this, this, and this websites, 
you name it, PPC, SEO, everything. Of course, since then, he's taught me all that. And we've got several guys that do all this for our agency. But we teamed up and I was like, I was like, man, you know, I don't have all of those technical skills like you have, but I said, what I do have is 30 plus years of grind and and psychology and sales, how to, you know, how to get deals, how to, how to, uh, how to even teach, you know, sales and the sales journey. So, and that's where we are today. You know, we're right at about a year into the agency, even though I've been doing it for four or five years. So when people ask me, I've been doing it for four or five years. I just happened to put a name on it really about a year ago and it's been beautiful. We've been blessed. Um, and it's been a great journey because if, if I've, you know, 20 years ago, I would have never imagined I would be sitting right here talking to you doing this on a podcast. Um, but it all come back to what you're in the beginning. It's about commitment. I realized, and I realize it more and more every day and every year, when you decide you want to do something, it and Cardone teaches this, commit first and then figure the rest out later. Everybody else does, like you said, they try to figure it out before they commit. But I've learned, and, I, and that muscle, it's a muscle too. I mean, commitment muscle, you got to keep it strong. And that's, where, and that's where hustle comes in. When you commit, figure it out later. And we do that all the time. I mean, there's... There's things we do now. We we do a lot of stuff. Anybody can go to our site and see that. Um, but stuff changed in the in the in the business so much from the social media side to a lot of the software that every few weeks we're having to go back and relearn some things because they change it. I mean, you know, Facebook's made some changes this past year that you know about. But um, but now, man, anybody listen to this? And like I tell everybody, if you want to do something, just do it. Commit first. Well, I'm sure there's a, someone smarter than me that said this in a better way, but one thing I tell people a lot is if you get an inkling that Mm -hmm. you want to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Start a business, lose 20 pounds, um, learn how to be a photographer for just fun, um, ride a motorcycle, what it doesn't matter, right? From the most inane little thing. Like I'd love to learn how to tie a certain kind of a tie knot all the way up to like, I want to start a, a fully blown business. I think what most people do is, is they do a list of all the reasons why it's a bad idea. Yeah. And then they won't do it until they can reduce that list to zero. Yep. But what I think you should do is look for all the reasons. It's a good idea. And once you have one good reason that it's a good idea, go. Like, don't worry about all the reasons it's now. Don't get me wrong. That's obviously a a sort of inspirational, motivational attack. Like if one of the reasons it's a bad idea is because you have a wife and three kids and you already have tons of debt and, (laughs) you know, it's like, don't go take out a mortgage on your house to like start it. But but, I mean, reasonable bad, like, you know, because most people, the point of that is, is most people will focus on all the reasons why they shouldn't do something instead of the reason why they should. Mm hmm or how they could. Mm -hmm. And it, and that's why I think why I wanted to bring up how you started. Um, it's not dissimilar to kind of me in this podcast, which same thing, like I've experienced a lot of growth over the time I've been doing it. Um, growth of listenership and just growth of how to do it properly and you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, it originally was just a, 
I'm just going to go make one. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's probably, it won't be as good as I hope it'll be it, but it really won't be as bad as I think it's, you know, as I think it Mm -hmm. could be either, Mm -hmm. right. It's going to land somewhere. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like failure. And I hate that word. Cause I don't, you know, what do they say? The cliche, it's like failure is success training. Mm -hmm. Um, and I come from a sports background. So like, I probably look at things from a sports lens, like, I learned a lot more from going and pitching in a game and getting lit up and then going. But the trick is, is you've got to go back and honestly look at why you got lit up Yeah. and then go, okay, how do I, what do I need to change? So the next time I go out, that doesn't happen again. I think, and again, that we talked about, we just, um, we went to lunch before we uh, came over here to tape and we talked about this a little bit at lunch, but I think, this ultimately it comes down to accountability where you've got to be honest enough with yourself to understand what your part in the failure is. Another mistake I think people think is they, whenever something goes bad, it's never what did I do? It's what are all these external forces that caused me to fail? Mm -hmm. Somebody else didn't do what they were supposed to do. The market didn't do what it was supposed to do. The customers don't understand what I'm trying to say. This person's an idiot. And that's, and all of those things might be true, but unless you can, look at yourself and go, okay, well, because here's why you can't control all that other stuff. You can control yourself. And, and if you can get your arms around what you can change to generate a new outcome, that's how you crack the code. Mm -hmm. And I could even see it in your progression, even when you started doing videos, because just like I didn't really know much very much at all about how to put a podcast together. When I started this, you didn't know a whole hell of a lot about how to produce video and put it out there to consume. But as you do it, you get better by doing Mm -hmm. as you study and learn. And by people that do know how to do it, you start incorporating those things in and it's just progression. It's just over time. It gets better. It's like working out. You're not going to go to the gym one time and go from being six foot one, 190 pounds with 20% body fat, and go work out two days and then be six one, um, you know, one eighty five with six percent body. It doesn't yeah. work that way. It's a process. That's right. And everything's gotta be a process. Yeah. So I appreciate your commitment to the process. And I I I think people need to be more aware. And the other thing too is like I think people get too focused on outcomes, right? Like if you can't enjoy the process, you're gonna be miserable. Like if you can't find any fun and like getting better at something. And again, maybe I'm weird. Like I liked to practice like when I was playing sports because I looked at that as like, because I like to win and I hate lose. I actually hate losing more than I like winning. Right. Like I really despise losing. Yeah. But every time it's like practice, I shouldn't say it's like super fun. Like nobody wants to run sprints or, but I was looking at it as like, yeah, but when I get in a game, if I put this work in now, I create, an opportunity where I have more likelihood to win or in my case to prevent myself from losing, which I hate. So I got to wrap my arms around the practice, this part of it, because that's going to allow the, but it's like, stop looking at the outcome and start focusing on the process. Because if you take care of the process, the outcome will take care of itself. That's it. And we talk about this at the office a lot. You have to, you have to love the process and that's, that's, that's what keeps me going. I mean, it, it, if I put on paper, if I look back on paper the past 30 years of life and business and, and a lot of the failures that I have, 
I could easily say, Sean, I could, I could, I could just say, you know what? What am I doing? I give up. Let's just go. Let's go, let's call it a day. Just go hang out and, you know, me do the nine to five and clock in, clock out. You know, maybe exercise, maybe not. Whatever. That I could, I, if I look back and looked at it that way, I could easily say that. And I think a lot of people do. It's not that a nine to five's a bad thing. It's just that I know what who I am and what I need to do. And it's the love of the process, like you said, because sure, the goal of trying to make good money, it, it should be anybody's goal, you know, because nowadays you can't do nothing without money, but <laughs> but that's not the main thing. And that, I think that's why each time I step, I've always said this, I've always taken, gotten knocked down, but when I get back up, I always go two steps further, get knocked down. It's, and I don't, like you said before, I don't think anybody just, you go from zero to a hundred with no mistakes or wrecks. You, you're going to, you're going to have a wreck, recover, go a little bit further each time. And that, and that's where I'm at. I mean, like by no means am I where I want to be, but guess what? And, and I've said this from day one. I said, I may, till the day I die, I know that I'm always going to try to do more and reach my potential. It has nothing to do with money because Anytime we have these discussions like this, a lot of people think, oh, they're, here we go. It's another, <laughs> it's another guy's talking about money and success. It has nothing to do with that. Money, money is just there anyway, right? It's just if you're doing the right things and you work hard, you can make the money. We're in a, I'm in a process cycle. I'm 50. Am I where I want to be with money? Absolutely not. And, you, and it, I may never be where I need to be by, until I die. But I'm going to be in the potential of being a better me and trying to learn and do as much as I can, hang out with guys like you, people that are going to help me grow because even us hanging out today, you know, I'm hearing stuff, seeing stuff that's that I know I can take back with to me on my business, and I already know what I'm going to do different next week to get a little bit better, and hopefully the same for you as well. And I think that's the way everyone should be. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing about, I mean, I, I actually, it, it's weird cause there's, I don't want to say this is universal cause I think there's levels like clearly if there are people where there are legitimate sort of monetary, right? Like, I think that's the first thing Like I'm lucky. Like I'm at a point where I don't worry about money in a sense of I've got a place to live. I've got transportation. I can afford groceries. I can pay my bills. I've got enough to where I can do fun things. I can't do unlimited things, but I, I can do lots. You know what I mean? I can take a trip if I want to. We, I can buy a shirt if I want to. You know, I can buy a pair of sneakers if I like them. You know, that kind of thing. There are people, I think, at lower levels where, you know, they're they're trying to get themselves to like some, you know, minimal sustainable place. But when you start talking about getting to the next level, one, one thing that I've taken away that I've learned from, again, working in technology and, working in the startup world for a little while and being around people that are extremely successful. I'm talking about people that have sold their companies for $60 million, $80 million, you know, wealth that you can't get rid of, right. You know, unless you're just a complete bonehead. Right. Um, the thing that's interesting about all those people when I've talked to them is that, um, once you get to a level where you don't 
with them where it's not about like, oh, I'm working so because I want a vacation house or I want to be able to go to Europe or I want to be able to buy a Maserati or I want like a like where the drive is like some kind of material thing. Mm-hmm. When 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 those guys are no longer limited by the materials things they can have, honestly, and I had a guy explain to me exactly like this. He goes, because because a lot of people say, well, why aren't you just sold your company for eighty million dollars? Why are you still working? Right. Yeah. Like that's sort of the magic question. And they're like, well, because I enjoy the work. Right. So that goes back to our whole thing about process. Right. Like it's not about the money. It's about, I like the work. Yeah. But then the thing, this was the real eye opener is a, a guy that I know that again, and that's the exact example is he sold his company for $60 million. He said, yeah, but he goes, here's the thing. I've even before I sold my company, when I was the CEO of my company, before I sold it, I was making a million five a year or whatever. So money is not a, yeah, you know, I'm like a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know what I mean? Or whatever. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I can do whatever I want money wise. I mean, I can't buy the Falcons, but I mean, I can, you know, what do you want to do? We can do whatever. Yep. Um, they're not dollars anymore. They're points and I'm keeping score. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it's like, I'm playing a game, right? And the, the output is it's dollars, but it, I'm not thinking about it. Like mm-hmm. someone that says, I'm driving around a car that may f- collapse on me because I can't afford to buy a new car. Mm-hmm. I'm past that, right? So what mm-hmm. am I thinking about now? Now it's about how many points can I accumulate? How can I win mm-hmm. the game, even though it's not a zero-sum game? But like I'm going through the process like I'm trying to win the game. It's just a game I'm playing with myself. you know. And every dollar, every company I grow to a certain size, every company I sell, I'm not thinking about selling a business because it's like I'm going to put $5 million in my pocket. I'm thinking about, I'm making five million points. Like I started a game, like, can I create something from nothing? Mm-hmm. I did it. And I was able to sell it for this. And that, and, but again, that's, I'm not focused on the outcome. I'm focused on the process mm-hmm. and the outcome is the outcome. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I'm not so naive as to think if people are again, listening to this, where they are in a situation where, you know, they've got a couple kids and they're trying to pay for private school or they have a car that's broken down, but they can't afford, or they live in, you know, a house that's beat up and they want to get in a new place. Those are real things and I'm not Absolutely. devaluing those. Yeah. But if you get past those things and you're talking about getting from, you get through that level and then you want to get to the next level, mm-hmm. you've got to, I think you've got to change your mind about what what your focus is. And I think if, if the dollars, to me, it gets real disingenuous when you start focusing on the dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with anybody saying I want to make a bunch of money. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you can't get locked into the outcome because it's not just going to happen. It's everything you do up until that point. That's going to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't just make that. There's no, I can't just go outside and throw my arms up in the air and go, give me a million bucks. That's not how that works. Yeah. Um, and another point of that too, though, is if, if somebody's just locked in on money where that, where they're going to mess up with that is of course, you know, I'd love to be having the conversations about 60 million one day, but, Unfortunately, not right now, but at the same time, no matter what amount somebody thinks they're going to go after, the reason money's not a good idea to focus on is because when you start having the bad days, when you're going through the bad days, the bad times, money's not going to help you get through the bad days and bad times just because, oh, I just keep my eye on the prize. The process is what's going to get you through the bad days because that's why you're there to begin with. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. That's what it is for me. You know, the ultimate goal is that to me, there's, there is no finish line. 
because as long as I'm going daily, monthly, weekly, whatever, yearly, trying to be better all across every category in my life, it's always going to be a progression of enjoying the process. If I have my eyes set on any amount of money and I start going through bad times, you know, the ups and downs, the money's not going to help me get through those bad times, just focusing on it. But the process of loving what I do does, you know, I've done several videos over the past year, maybe even podcasts about, uh, do it anyway. You've heard people say this before, um, to get to any level of success, whether it's, I don't, I don't care what it is in your life, not money, but everything else, there's going to be grind. There's going to be days where it's just, it could feel boring. It could monotonous just, or you wake up and you're like, Oh man, I don't want to get up. And you have, you're going to go through days of just do it anyway, because if you don't, you're going to wind up where you were before. And, and I, I've, I've done that too much in the past. Like right now, the grind that I'm in right now, and a lot of ones, a lot of people that know me personally know this. For the most part, every day I'm working. There's no, there's no true days off when you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, you you have your own business. Sure, I take some time on Saturdays and Sundays to do some things or whatever, but I'm still doing other things. You know, for a few hours a day, a lot of times you're studying or reading on your industry. So there's really true no days off. So I'm going through a point even at 50 where some guys go through in their 20s and 30s. But a lot of people our age, you know, you're a little bit younger now, but um, they don't want to take those risks. They think that, oh, I'm 50, you know, I should be gearing it back. I'm like, I'm just ready. To, I'm I'm gearing it up. And that, that's a part of that commitment mindset too is like, I know people we went to school with, you know, they – they're in good shape. They got the, they got their money right. They got the family right. But you know, they're at that point where they're, it's almost like they're gearing it back. They want to coast the rest of their life and good for them. But like for me, I'm, I'm taking, I'm in the, I'm in the high risk zone <laughs> of my life. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I don't care because I mean, you, we've known each other long enough. You know, like what we're talking about. Um, it don't matter. I'm going to do this. And even if I get my legs cut off at the knees doing this, I'm going to do, I'm doing it again. I'm going to keep, keep going. Yeah. Keep the, going. Yeah. There's and and the thing too, about the money bit. Um, the other thing is I think if you, if you make money, the focus, um, I think it also makes you assign more value to money than you should. Meaning money is a resource as well. And everyone that owns or has owned or, you know, runs a business or is, there are also times when you have to make strategic decisions on how to leverage the money that you have to grow. Mm -hmm. And which a lot of times means spending it. Mm -hmm. So for example, when a company grows, you could say, wow, if I could hire someone, I think I could do more business. Right. Whatever that is, I want to hire someone to be an assistant. I want to hire someone to take care of accounting for me. I want to hire someone to go out and de- develop business for me. I want to, but the reality is if you're the business owner and it's like, okay, I'm going to go pay somebody a $50,000 salary. Well, that's $50,000 that basically comes out of my pocket. Cause if I didn't spend it, it would, you know, and I kept maintain the same level of revenue, that's money I get to keep. Mm-hmm. 
but you have to have a little vision and go, yeah, but if I spend 50 and that person makes me an extra 250. Yes. But if you're so focused on the dollars, you don't recognize that, you know, it, you you overvalue the money. You overvalue the 50K in your pocket and you can't see the 300 or the 500 or whatever it is that that could be if you would just release it, mm-hmm. right? Or or, in, or invest is the term, you know? Yeah. But it's like, if okay, I'm, I, now I need an office. I need to hire people. I need to invest in a piece of software. I need to get better equipment. I need to spend some money on marketing, That's right? right? Like I need yeah. to, you know, go and hire a company like Brandlift, you know, mm-hmm. and make an investment because if I do it right and do what they tell me, you know, that $10,000 I pay Brandlift can turn into $50,000 in money for my business or a hundred. Mm-hmm. And you've got to have some vision about the return you can get from the mm-hmm. money that you spend. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys that I talk to all the time, we talk about that, talk about, um, and they make jokes about like, well, that's, that's debt. You know, I don't want to have debt. Well, debt's not the problem. It's the income is, right. is your problem. If you're going to spend, and um, I think even Grant talks about this, you know, even like Coca-Cola, Caterpillar, the big companies, most of them, they got 10 to 15 times more debt than their income. So they know what's up, right? They're leveraging debt. So that we're not talking about debt when you're talking about a system, but it's funny that you bring that up. Is like, I'm kind of going through something similar to that right now. I'm like, we're getting close to on the verge to getting another employee. But there again, it, it's money that would keep from, you know, us, me and the partnership, uh, so I'm I'm battling with that, but I know if I if I if I get this employee, I could step it up. I could get I know I can get some more accounts. So you play that game back and forth in your mind. I'm like, do I or don't I? So, you know, even though we're talking about this, we both are guilty of it. I know I am. We still go through these thoughts, but I'll work it out in my mind over the next few months and go, okay, I got to get it, got to do it. You know, it's happened before. Just Make the commitment, get it, figure it out. Let's go for it. So you do have to. I mean, those are the the things. That's part of the commitment thing, the risk, the whole leveraging of of money. Um, and I think that's something that everybody should be mindful of. Now, going back to what you were saying about if you've got kids, school, whatever, I would say this. Like, I've been blessed to been able to just jump out and go and do whatever I want to do because that's my choice. Not everybody's in the same sad, you know, I don't have kids. Okay. So that, that's a totally different from everybody else. So you can take big risk. I would, and I, and I've jumped sometimes not even having a money plan, but I wouldn't suggest that. So if anybody's listening to this and you're, you got a job that you hate, but you, but, but you've got everything else going for you before you do anything, like they all teach, hustle it on the side, do it at night, do it on the weekend, minimum to nothing investment. If it's something you can do just to, to get better before you take that opportunity, but you know, take the risk, but don't, don't risk everything you got. Like I did. I mean, I walked away from, from, you know, steady job at UPS to go straight into nothing. You go from here to here. And like you said earlier, yeah, I had family, friends, everybody. Are you crazy? are you crazy? <laughs> and I heard that, you know, for, for years. And, um, and I know people still probably say stuff like that, but you know what? I'm doing me. This is my life. Absolutely. And when I, when I woke up one day, it ain't been that many years ago. I woke up one day and I'm like, 
well, I'm like, why do I care what all these other people think? And I, I used to do that for a long time. I think everybody's guilty of it. Um, that's what I was going to ask you. So it, what, you hit that point a lot earlier than I did. Uh, how early on did you, uh, I guess when you hit the music business, at what point did you realize, I'm going to do me? I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like that's kind of one of my superpowers. Like if you think you were blessed with a gift, I've I've rarely been overly concerned about outside perception of me. Now, here's what's interesting, and this is the onion to that question. This is the layers of that question. Mm-hmm. I think early in my life it was about e- it was ego. I think, you know what? I'm smart. I got a college, you know, to give me a bunch of money to go to school. Yeah. I um I did well in school. You know, I I I've got good friends, I've got good people around me. I'm 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 a bright guy. Why would I care what some Rudy Pooh says about me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. About right? Because I'm like I'm so put together. Which at 24 or three or two or five is ridiculous. That's because you don't know anything. Yeah. But I didn't know I didn't know anything. Right. And so it was ego. Mm-hmm. Later, right in life, I sort of hit, it stayed the same for me. I still don't very much care what people think. Again, if it's reasonable, like I care if people, I care if I went to a party and said something that hurt someone's feelings. Sure. And somebody said to me, you said something that was really mean or that was really rude. Or one thing I do sometimes, which God bless my wife, you know, if I'm upset about something else in life and then, you know, something happens on a weekend that frustrates me, you know what I mean? And I, and I'm, I say something mean or inconsiderate or something to her. Yeah. Yeah. I care about that. I don't, wouldn't say that I don't care about what people think, but if I've gone through the process and said to myself, okay, a, this is what I want to do. B, I think I can get there. C, I don't think it's putting any sort of pressure on anybody. Like I'm not asking my wife to give me money. I'm not asking, you know, her to let us put a mortgage on the house. Like, why would I care if some, some jabroni up the street said, you know, you're an idiot for wanting to go out. And I really don't. I just don't. Yeah. I never have. Yeah. But like I said, I think early on it was ego. Now I think it's more about exactly what you said. It's my life. And now I have a partner, right? So it's really mm-hmm. our life because I don't do anything without it being informed by how it affects my wife. Mm-hmm. But, and those conversations happen. But just so long as I feel like we're in tune and and everybody's on the same page with that, it really doesn't matter to me what other people think. Pe- like just period. Yeah. Because, but now I've also got enough data to say, quite frankly, I mean, this isn't to say that everything I've ever done has been super successful, but pretty much every decision I've ever made, every career choice, every whatever, it's pretty much worked out. Mm-hmm. Like, so now I can look back on a track record and go, you know, I didn't make a decision and ended up homeless. I didn't make a decision and ended up being a meth addict. I didn't make any decisions that, you know, did I get jobs and end up losing those jobs? Did I start companies that didn't do anything? Did we buy a coffee shop in Midtown that we eventually, you know, sold off for, you know, not really any more than we paid for it? Mm-hmm. Sure. But like, again, to me, like those weren't failures. Like the things that I learned from doing those things are absolutely invaluable. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't, I just, I got to worry about me. 
Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm happy. And this is also a lot of stuff I learned from not only we talked about this earlier, like I went through a really hard time with my own mental state and depression and stuff after my dad died. And then, as you might imagine, I mean, for those of you listening, a lot of you know this, some of you don't. But I was in the hospital for four months in 2018 and was out of work for eight months because I was in recovery and I was very depressed. And as you might imagine, that's a hard thing to have to deal with. Um but it just reinforced this whole thing is like at the end of the day, me and my partner, my wife, this is about us. And that's all it's about because if, because you could literally drop, I could, we could finish, not even finish. I could keel over right now. Right. And it could all be over. I could Mm -hmm. never wake up. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, and people say that as a cliche, but 30 feet from where we're sitting right now, I was walking one day from my TV room to my kitchen and I hit the floor Mm. and an ambulance came and got me and I just about died Mm -hmm. and it came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm just not going to give people that kind of rent. I'm not going to let people live in my head rent free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that again, I, I think again, I'm just lucky. Like I'm just blessed in that, that's never really bothered me. But I think the, I think why it's never bothered me has changed is as I become more mature. Now the why is a lot different because I'm focused on myself and what I want to accomplish, not what I think everybody wants me to accomplish early on in life. I just thought I was a badass, (laughs) even though I totally wasn't right. But I just, it's like 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You know what I mean? That's just how it was. I think, I think that's important though to, especially for guys, you do have to have a, a level of confidence about a lot of things like that. You got to have some swag. Yeah, you, you got to. I mean, especially if you're going to go, when you're going through the, some of the hard times, you know, that it's not, it's not fake confidence, but you got to, you got to know that you can handle anything, no matter what it is. If you have that attitude, you can get through it. So one of the things about people talking or judging or whatever is that, I think we all, of course, now the generations is a little bit different, but when, the way we grew up, there was always this expectation, okay, after high school, college, job, stay there, whatever, 30, 40 years, get your go watch, retire, do some things, die. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I, I learned really quick, and, and I think it took my um, – you know, my time at UPS driving all those years and having time to, to think, I was like, nah, <laughs> I not for me. That. Yeah. No. Cause I knew, I knew that, and that I always wanted, wanted to do a lot of things. Like if you look on my, if you, if, if we did a resume of life, what I got right now, and this is not bragging by no means, because believe me, I've, I've had so many failures, but as far as doing for happiness, dude, I got a list that I've done everything I wanted to do. I've been a wrestler. I've been a bouncer. I've been, I've done insurance. I've done mortgage, UPS driver, um, fast food restaurants. I could, I just go on up. I was a, for a quick moment, I was a, a bounty hunter. Um, I'm, I got a marketing agency now. <laughs> I mean, that's not bragging by no means. This is this cause I'm doing me. Yeah. When I grew up, I wanted to be everybody. I didn't want to be a just a doctor or just a fireman or uh, and all those are great things. But um, you know, 
I, I'm going to do. And but, that's what I've been doing. And let's and let's all remember too. If someone if someone is listening to this, that it that it's hit. This has hit your ears right. In like, and this is honestly what I have hoped about my podcast from the time I started it. Because this is why I listen to podcasts. Like, I I hope that someone listens to this and goes, I want to do that. And I always say, then you do it. You should do, do it. it. Yeah. Right. Like, I want to do a podcast. Do it. I you need help. I'll help you. Send me an email. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You can get all my social media. If you ever, if you said to yourself, I want to like, send me an email, send me a DM, right? Mm-hmm. Like I will help you mm-hmm. because I think it's good for people to go and pursue yeah, like things they want to do. Um, but I think most people, and this is, so if, so if there's someone listening and they do catch a drop of inspiration from this, whether it's someone listening that is a potential customer of brand lift, someone that's interested in doing a podcast, someone that is just, it doesn't have anything to do with that specifically, but they've been thinking some, there's been an itch in the back of their head saying, man, maybe, maybe my, maybe my journey needs to be a different journey in life. Right. Um, you got to remember most people don't, I don't want to, I'm not suggesting that people are cowards. I think the courage to do something like that, to jump off the bridge is not, natural i think either some people naturally have it and that's rare or some people have the just sheer force of will that they can force themselves to jump even though everything in their body and mind screams don't do it but people will the minute you start doing it people will try and tear you down mm-hmm. the reason though is not because what you're doing is not good or not right, or not whatever, but because those people want to do things and they don't have the force of will or the courage to do it themselves. And instead of saying, wow, how can I do what I want to do and look at this person and give them credit for doing it, they would rather tear you down Mm -hmm. because they don't like the fact that you've ascended beyond them. So instead of grab, instead of clawing their way up to where you are, they will grab you by the ankles and try to drag you all the way back down to where they are. Mm-hmm. And the minute I figured out that that's how people are, that's also when I started realizing I can't worry about what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Because a lot of those people, it's just because they don't want to build themselves up. It's a lot easier to tear you. It's a lot easier to tear someone else down than to build yourself up. Mm-hmm. And, I frankly just don't have a lot of respect for that. Those kind of people. I mean, there were, I even have it. I'll, I'll show it to you. I'm not going to put it out there cause I don't want to put it on front street for everybody. I'll, yeah. I can show it to you later. My very second episode of this podcast, I got a letter, a letter, an email or a, an instant messenger message or some from somebody that I kind of know, right. That was like in a, acquaintance you know like somebody was in the sphere like mm-hmm. i don't know them super well but know them like we would recognize each other at a thing but we don't talk on the phone or whatever yeah. and i mean they sent me a note just destroying destroying me <laughs> like just it sounds terrible you know you you have a lot of verbal crutches which i know i do i say you know all the time i um a lot i, I yeah. think i work on but you know the 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 content you're rambling you're all over the place it was just basically like a whole thing of like why what i did wow. was terrible and unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, that could really affect them and potentially affect their journey mm-hmm. that they're trying to go on. Fortunately for me, my response to that 
is to be like, you know what, dude, fuck you. Yeah. You know, excuse the language. Yeah. Um, but they already list this podcast as explicit for some reason and things. So it's fine. <laughs> um, I also have a whole nother rant about cursing and I yeah. swear a lot, yeah. but anyways, um, but I'm glad that's my reaction. My reaction is like, who's this guy? And you start looking at what this guy does and he doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like he, he, he just, he works his, his nine to five and he, you know, if you look at his Facebook, everything's negative. It's always everything mm-hmm. pointing out how everybody else is wrong and everything mm-hmm. sucks. And, and, and I, and in fact, I actually, after I got done being mad, I started feeling sorry for him because I'm just like, wow, can you imagine going through life where just everything sucks? Like that just to me, like, why would like that, mm-hmm. like that would be so awful. Like I'm on the opposite. Like I look around, like it, it, we, you mentioned this today when you came in, you said something about my neighborhood. I've, I've very fortunate. Like I, I've done well. My wife does well. We mm-hmm. live in a nice place. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it, I, I worked really hard to be where I'm at. So I don't feel like I need to apologize for that. Yep. Um, but the second thing is, and this is where I think people also, I still, we've been in this house for 15 years. I still, just about every time I drive up my driveway, I look at my house and I say to myself, this is more than I ever thought I would have. Yeah. I am still, I mean, I was born in a baby shit green single wide trailer in Jones County, Georgia in 1975 that was on the back acre of my grandparents' property because my parents couldn't afford land or a place to live or anything. And that's where I started. And this is where I'm at now. And back then when I was growing up, the I, I couldn't even conceptualize that this would be my life. Yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. all last week calling on $100 million law firms. You know what I mean? Sitting yeah. down with people, executives, you know, doing deals, working on strategy together um, on K Street, four blocks from the White House. You know, I mean, I never could have predicted that for my life. But but the problem is, is I still have a very ample awareness and humility on. I want to apologize for what I have because none of this was given to me. But I am exceptionally grateful for the things that I have. Yeah. Like, but it's a, but I feel like I would rather just be happy with what I have. Like, and don't get me wrong, there are certainly times when I am sad or depressed or just like any person, something makes you angry, something makes you upset, you have a hard time in life. But rather than dwell on it, I try to get through it and then go back to going, well, look at where you're at. Look at the house you live in. And and again, I don't even know that you, not to be counterintuitive, not that material things define you, but you look at my relationship. Look at the great, amazing partner in life that I have. Look at the friends that I have. Like even our friendship, we don't talk as much. Like, I'm, I mean, I would consider you like a, someone that I'm, if I was in trouble, I could call you mm-hmm. and you would help me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the same was true. If you called me and we hadn't talked for a year and was like, man, I'm in trouble. I would go, man, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? Tell me how I can help you. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people don't have that. And I have that in a lot of places. Like yeah. I have that in spades and that's a, a blessing. Yeah. And so I just feel like, you know, I just want to try to focus in a place where it's positive, where I'm getting maximum return out of the 
the the days I'm awake, that you know, the days I'm vertical, the days I'm able to go and do things. Mm-hmm. Like I try to focus on what's good and what mm-hmm. like what did I do today that's positive because I just don't like that guy that decided he just listened to me trying to just figure something out for myself yeah. and taking a shot and doing it when he doesn't do shit. Yeah. But he but instead of like going, oh, I'm gonna go do my own thing, I'm just gonna take this guy's thing and shit all over it. Man, I, I can't I can't abide people no, like that. No, and we've we've said this before. Those are people that have given up on their dreams, and there's there's plenty of people out there. And I used to be bad before of taking those things into consideration years ago, and I, I learned real quick with a lot of other mentors that I have that there's always going to be those people. But I've learned to embrace that too, to where. You know, they uh, they talk about you need haters because people like that will promote you more than your friends or family will. (laughs) Your friends or family are going to be like, yeah, go, Sean, go. And that's about as loud as they'll get because they love you or whatever. But a hater, this same guy, I bet he's told 20 people, oh, you got to listen to that Arnold guy. He sucks. (laughs) Now you got 20 more people listening, and a lot of them are like, he's pretty good. I wish I could do that. (laughs) So – when I heard that before, this is a few years ago, I was like, that's absolutely right. So, you know, we made the joke and I said this over the phone to you. Um, I don't care, you know, if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you can get 50% of the people in America to hate your guts, you can be the president of the United States. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's true. So th- that's another thing I think that keeps people from making a commitment or taking a risk like we, you and I both have done is that they're worried about these people that are going to speak up and say something, criticize, hate, because they've given up on their dreams. But at the same time, another level that I'm trying to really embrace is that, it's like and you've heard this and I've seen it on quotes, it is really none of our business what they think of us anyway. Even if we want them to like us and love us, what they think, that's their own thing. And it should have nothing to do with what we do. So that's why we, I mean, you talk about let's do life and that, that's what we're doing. I mean, come on, man. It's, it's Saturday afternoon. Um, we're doing this, we're doing this jam in, in, in some sense, you know, this is kind of like part of our career and our work, but it's fun too. At the same time, how many other dudes at our age, what are they doing right now? They're, they're, <laughs> they're doing their thing on the weekend because then they got to do their grind that they may hate through the week to, to, to me, I've learned to try to not try, do, do things to make it part of my life. It's a lifestyle. My lifestyle as an entrepreneur. I'm always thinking about something, a business, starting a business, you know, uh, what can I do to get better? You know, and which brings me back. I don't have this discussion. Um, one of the things that totally turned me around as well was, books mm-hmm. can we talk about that for a minute we can talk about whatever you want to baby talk about some books i got i got 130 <laughs> hours of tape on this thing <laughs> so let's talk about books for a minute because we've left that out and that's i think that's a big important part for any any guy or girl if they want to change a mindset get break through some things through that limitation because the only limits are in our minds is uh what some of the books over the years that that stand out in your mind that's kind of helped you get to the level that you're at? Oh my gosh. This one's probably hard for me because I don't, I probably read less business books than a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Like 
one thing that I will say, if you're looking for a resource, um, the Harvard Business Review, which sounds really kind of hoity-toity to a little mm-hmm. degree, but Harvard Business Review just really actually takes it, a lot of, they write up like business cases and they're sort of like in an article format. So I always encourage business people like take a look at the Harvard Business Review because it's, you know, they'll take why a business did something and break it down or whatever. So I, I will check those out. Um, there is a book that, um, you ever there breaking shit? What's yeah, going on? Broke it. It's done. Um, move that. This is also the beautiful thing of podcast, no structure. Get up and move the, the mannequin from where my wife sells clothes on, uh, Etsy or whatever it is. <laughs> she sells up somebody standing behind me. Yeah. And, uh, just get that out of the way and then you can, uh, it'll give you a little more room. The magic of radio people. There you are. Um, but, uh, one of the first business books though, that is very specific and I want people to take it with a grain of salt is, um, uh, a guy named Tim Ferriss wrote a book called the four hour work week. And, uh, what's interesting is, is that's very much rooted in the, this idea of like automating your business to a point where you don't have to work very much. Now, Tim's a unique case because Tim's obviously an extremely smart guy and has been very successful. And it does get very specific into how, you know, like he created like a supplements company where he could sell supplements and he automated shipping and receiving and ordering. So all he had to do was like he had it all set up to where everything was outsourced and he built his margins to where he could just answer emails like on Fridays for half a day or return phone calls. And that's all he had to deal with. I didn't take that book at a literal sense. What I did when I read that book is to think about efficiency. So for me, that's been a big thing I've in my career is it's not about trying to shave your work down to where you have to do minimum work. Mm-hmm. And I think if somebody read that book the wrong way, they would start to get visions of like, how can I buy a millionaire and not work very much? That's, right. that's not what that's about. The book's about how smart am I working? Like, cause it's one thing to be grinding, but am I grinding out something for 10 hours when if I did it smarter or better, I could do what I do in 10 hours and two hours. And then I'm still going to work for 10 hours, but I got eight extra hours. Now mm-hmm. I can go do something else. That's right. So that one was probably the first business book I read where I started to fundamentally like change how I was thinking, um, you know, um, about efficiencies and yeah, where yeah. you're, if you are, you know, don't spend five hours doing something you could do in an, in an hour. Um, or, um, the other caveat to that is, um, above and beyond anything else, I think any entrepreneur, any person the the thing you should ultimately be the most protective of is your time. Yes. Because me and Mark Cuban and Warren Buffett and Donald Trump, and Barack Obama and uh, Ellen DeGeneres and Brad Pitt. Oprah. We all got the exact same amount of seconds today. That's right. Right. And how we use them. Right. And you only got, and not only do you only got so many more seconds left in the tank, we don't know how how much, but there's a finite amount of seconds. Right. So use them preciously. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is actually one of the, funny things like I'll tell you a quick story that is funny and it's just how people's mind work. And this is not a shot at my wife or anything, but we have a thing here that in the neighborhood, we live in a really big neighborhood. There's like 900 homes in here. And, uh, 
they have a neighborhood wide yard sale like once a year. And the neighborhood, the homeowners association, like puts ads in like the local papers and, you know, and on that Saturday, you know, just reams of people come over here because yeah. everybody just sets up there. Well, our little neighbors and around us, they would get together and, you know, do one stop. So we'd pick somebody's driveway. We, my wife yeah, and like my wife would go and like two weeks prior to the thing, she would start going down in the basement for a couple hours a night and like pulling old clothes and pulling things we don't need and gathering them up. And then she would get little tags with prices on them and she would handwrite them and she'd tag everything. And then the night before she would carry everything over to the garage of the neighbor's house and get it over there. Then she would get up at six o'clock cause the thing starts at 7am on a Saturday and they'd put mm-hmm. it all out and they'd get some, go to the bank and get some cash. And then they'd set up their little station and they'd sit out there all day as people mm-hmm. came around and they'd buy stuff. And when all that was said and done, my wife would come back home and she'd be like, I made $213 <laughs> and she would be so excited because yeah. in her mind, all she goes, I made $200. I can buy a couple pairs of shoes. I can pay a bill or two. I can put that towards a trip. In my mind, the way my mind works is, is I was like, you spent a hundred (laughs) hours, right? To go do that. Oh man. You effectively made $2 an hour, right? Like in, right? Like you, you, you put in a hundred hours of effort to make $200. (laughs) My business brain says, that's a terrible idea. I would, and I told her, and she gets mad at me because I would have been like, "Hell, if you'd have told me that, if you're willing to put in a hundred hours of work for two hundred dollars, I'll give you two hundred dollars and come up with a hundred hours worth of shit for you to do, right?" And so, oh, yeah. But but again, now don't get me yeah. wrong. She got to hang out with her friends all day. She yes. got to get rid of stuff. There, are, uh, I'm not breaking that yeah. down to a completely monetary, yeah. but I just use it as an example of like, think about how you're applying your time and if Mm -hmm. it's really worth it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and again, that's part of the Tim Ferriss thing Mm -hmm. with four hour work week is like, so I give you an example. My company bills me out at, I think $300 an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I go do strategy work, Mm -hmm. if you're a $300 an hour resource, don't do $10 an hour stuff. Mm-hmm. that's a bad that's mm-hmm. a bad allocation of resources mm-hmm. right like that's like that's like using a um you know what it is it's like lighting a cigar with a hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. all you need is a two cent match mm-hmm. you accomplish the same thing mm-hmm. you're just setting a hundred dollar bill on fire so one of the fairest thing about being more efficient is is like hey man if you're a 300 hour an hour resource do 300 dollar an hour things Hire somebody else to do it, the $10 an hour stuff, and you've just saved yourself $290 an hour mm-hmm. because the $10 an hour person's doing $10 an hour things. Mm-hmm. And you've, and when you're doing a $10 an hour thing, you're losing 290 bucks. Yep. Right. So, so you do all 200, $300 an hour things. Let the $10 an hour people do that. Let the $50 mm-hmm. an hour people do 50. And I'm not this. And also, I'm not talking about levels. I'm not suggesting that yeah. there's about devaluing, but right. Like, make sure that you're maximizing the value of your, that you're getting out of your time. Oh yeah. And so I know this, I got way far afield of us talking about just books, but that was probably the first book that I really started to conceptualize ideas about businesses and how they work and what makes sense. And this is why I could never work at a big company. I've worked at like one big company in my life. It was like $2 billion and the amount of waste that happens at a large company, it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Right. Like I, 
I'm, I, I work at a company that's got about 100, 120 employees. And we even have some ways, but I think when you're a smaller business, you just have to be more agile. You have to be more, because yeah. you don't have unlimited resources. But I see like, even sometimes I hear stories about my wife working at Turner and some of the things they do. And I'm like, oh my God, like if it took us as long to do, we've got a business. If it took us as long or as expensive yeah. to do things Absolutely. Like the way they do them over there, I understand it's bigger and it's like turning a cruise ship instead of like turning a speedboat. I get it. But it's just ultimately wasteful. Then another one that's more recent, which is really an interesting book, is a book called Scaling Up, mm-hmm. um, which that's really if you kind of get to a business where you're in that small to midsize space and you're looking about making the move. And it's sort of related in a sense that that's about how you build an organizational structure where you can grow without having to build as you grow so much. So a lot of times what people do is they'll, like in the client world, like I'll use your business as an example, which I do want to, when we get through this, to, we need to, I want to get into more detail about what you're doing with, mm-hmm. with brand lift. But, um, like right now you guys have a working agency, you have clients, you're delivering for your mm-hmm. customers, scaling up the ideas. Like how do we build ourselves without spending a ton of money to where if tomorrow you turn on your email and you had a hundred RFPs mm-hmm. or you had a hundred requests for, to do work mm-hmm. for you to be able to say, okay, I can make small changes and accommodate that. Mm-hmm. Not holy shit. I've got to like, I'm not, I don't have capacity for that. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to go figure out how we deliver on a hundred projects. Cause right now we're delivering on 10 at a time or 20 mm-hmm. at a time. Mm-hmm. What if that were to triple or quadruple or quintuple mm-hmm. tomorrow? Um, because you can create business structure to where you can easily expand and contract, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on just how much volume you have, how much work you actually, cause the flip side of that is, is, you don't want to be paying a bunch of people and not have any projects. Right. So it's about how utilized you are. Yep. Like what's your utilization level. So scaling up is also a really good one, just about business operations and understanding, um, you know, as we grow, are we built so we can grow easily and grow at a minimum expense. So every time we get a big chunk of business in or we get larger, we don't have to run around with bricks and mortar trying to build new structures. We're just adding on to the structure that we have and making it more. So the, those are the two that come to mind. Yeah, in the Tim Ferriss book, that's really a good one. That's one I was going to mention as well. And I think anybody that's our age, when that came out, which was probably about 12. It had to be 15, 12, 15 12 years to 15 ago. years ago. It was, it was, it was the right timing for me, especially, you know, as well as you, because I mean, you know, really internet marketing, automation, all these things just were really getting big and I'd never seen any of this stuff before. Right. And one of the things that fascinated me about the book was like you said, you know, you, you, you can't go by the, the four hour work week. Like you said, it wasn't about working four hours. It was like you said, being efficient automation and, uh, and, and that's one of the things we really have to be aware of in our business is a lot of automation stuff or there's no way to scale. Like you're talking about, unless we're using it. But, uh, one of the things that fascinated me too, is that opened my mind to him going to Costa Rica and other countries. Like you can travel, you can do like, if you, if you have a, uh, job, like what I'm doing, I can totally, uh, the guys at the office, especially that I look guys, we're going to go to Miami next week and we'll work from there. And, you know, we're, we're planning on doing some things like that. Maybe not for a whole week, but we're planning on doing some trips, not only to do that because I've always wanted to because of the book, but 
believe me, I'm going to call on some people when I'm there too. I'm get, I'm, I would love to, to go travel like that, you know, for three, four days, do the work while we're there. Cause we've got our laptops or, you know, it's a lot of times we'll do video production, but call on some people there, get some people there so that it makes sense. Then we come back. Like we just scored a, um, a client in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, because they're doing a little traveling. So, and I want to do more of that. So the Ferris book, absolutely. And that's what I would recommend to anyone is, um, cause when I read, believe me, I don't like novels, you know, Lord of the Rings. I like movies, but I don't like reading <laughs> other than inspirational and something with business because I don't like, and I'll just tell you, but I don't love to read. I mean, I, you, if you, if you came to my place, you would see tons of books, but you're not going to find Moby Dick or, <laughs> or Harry Potter or, or Fifty Shades of Messed Up or any of that. That's funny because I actually do. I read a lot of fiction. I really see, like fiction. See, that's where we're different. Yeah. But, so I don't. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to, because I hated reading as a kid. I mean, if you saw my grades, I barely went to high school. <laughs> you'd, know, you'd understand. Well, that's because you went to Cass. No, right. Maybe so. <laughs> Colonels, go Colonels. Go Colonels. But uh, yeah. So, just kidding if you went to Cass. <laughs> But it, but it, it's okay because um, I mean there's plenty of audibles everything now and if, if I could give any piece of advice to anybody that's thinking about doing anything else is read or, or listen to something and of course you can go on YouTube you can get a doctrine on YouTube I mean if you pick something watch it go through courses and just like you have as well I mean and it's getting around the right people too you know you've done it I've done it you can't you can't you can't grow you know, in the cul-de-sac, hanging around with with the same same guys. It's, you know, it's just talking about people and talking about, you know, what I used to do or what I, you know, me and you at lunch earlier, we're, t- we're talking about the good old days a little bit, but that's that's usually for a brief time. But, you know, when you're around the right people, you'll know is because you're, t- you're going to be talking about ideas. And I, I've seen this on one of the things you can find online. Um, what was it? Um, small-minded people talk about events. Look it up for me over there. We'll get it straight. Small, small minds talk about events. Um, good minds talk about people, and the great minds talk about ideas. And something to do with that. But this is true. And honestly, I've cut out. I say cut out. I've I've made a choice to oh, yeah. read it. Read it. So this is small minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, great minds talk about ideas. Yeah. So, and this is true. I mean, if you're around somebody and they're talking about people, they're talking about events. Um, I'm usually trying to figure out how to get out of that conversation and go to the, go to somebody else because, um, and I, I've been there before, you know, years ago I used to talk. That was Eleanor Roosevelt, by the way. El, there you go. I used to, I used to worry about the past, worry about things, uh, overanalyze things before I would do it. I, I never would commit and then figure it out, but I flipped that switch. Now I do everything opposite of what I used to do. I commit first, figure it out later. There's been a couple occasions I've made a commitment on a, uh, to do a project or something with the business. And as soon as I hang up the phone, he'll look at me like, do you know how to do that? I was like, well, we got to go figure it out. Let's go do it. So you have to, and it's okay to be that way too. As long as you're in the industry and you know what to do uh, with your craft, there's going to be times that you're not going to know how to do everything. And years ago, 
that would scare me to death. Now mm. I'm like, nope, because there's almost, we've kind of talked about this. There's almost a, um, a, another layer of layer or level, or should I say level of energy that you can tap into if you'll com- make a, make a commitment to something, even if you don't understand it completely, because when you commit, especially if you're the right person and you're wanting to do the right things, like you should, when you commit to do something, um, you're going to do everything you can to figure it out and make sure it happens, which goes into this next part. You know, you've always heard the term um, under promise over deliver. Sure. I've heard that a million times. Well, I heard a guy say that you should, he said, that's bull crap. You should over promise and over deliver. And when I first heard him say that, I was like, what in the hell is he talking about? And then I understood after he explained it, this is because if you under promise just to try to over deliver, just impress under promise. And you're at some point, if it gets bad enough, you're going to be like, well, I didn't promise him I would do all this, but if you over promise and want to over deliver, you over promising, you're going to get in that area. Of what I, to me, it's like an extra level of energy. It's like, Oh shit, I really got to do this now. And I figure it out. And then what I do as we do over deliver. So one of my, one of my things at the office and the guys know this is like, guys, when, when I over promise, we're going to, we're still going to over deliver. And we get into what I call the extra mile. And if you want to sum up anything that how I try to live my life and I do things, especially in the business side is going that, that extra mile because we've talked about this. It's a beautiful place to be in. <laughs> I always joke about it, Just look around. Ain't nobody there. That's right. No competition, no nothing. Because when we grew up, there was such thing as customer service and, and people were like that. You can go to most restaurants nowadays and good luck or call most businesses. Good luck. No follow-up, no customer service, no call. There's some of the, I can name some of the good ones, um, but there's none of that. So if you, if you, if you've got your own business or even if you work somewhere, if you will live in that extra mile, you'll get noticed. You'll get chance for promotion. If it's your own business, you're going to get more customers because the ones that you have are going to become raving fans, which is another great book. I don't know if you've read that one, raving fans. Um, so at the core, I'm, I'm, I'm like a stickler for customer service and follow up. Cause you know, I, I go back to what even Bible says, do unto do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. I want to be treated good if I'm out somewhere. So I'm going, I'm going to do that. Although I want to, I'm going to mind bend you a little bit right here. Right. So the golden rule, you know how the over promise under deliver guy told you that he, that was bull crap. That, yeah. The under promise over deliver. Yeah. I'm going to challenge you and say that the golden rule is bull crap. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why I think that's bull crap. Okay. It's arrogant in its nature. This mm-hmm. is why. Okay. You're making the assumption that other people want to be treated like you do. True. I think that's a mistake. I think what it should be, and I always say it's cut the platinum rule, is do unto others as they would like to be done unto. That's next level, right? Yeah. Yeah. Applying your own filter, your own lens of how you want to be treated at somebody else is really easy. What's really hard is figuring out what they want 
and giving them that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't, and I'm not trying to blow it up because obviously that is, if there are kids out there listening, the idea behind the golden rule is, is yeah. like, be kind, right? Yeah. Like don't sure. do anything, but, but in a business sense in this, I'm in this game, right? Like I'm on the client side of the business. It's about, or the business term is an, an, that you would use here is anticipating need. Yeah. Right. Like if you really want to be able to service clients at the next level, this goes all the way down to the hostess at a restaurant to or a waiter at a restaurant up to the CEO of a company. If you have a customer, you've got to get really good at anticipating what they want, because if you can give it to them before they ask you for it, they will never leave you. Mm-hmm. So this is simplest of all. This is the and I do this now because I used to wait tables and I'm one of those people that say, I think everyone on the planet Earth should work in the service industry mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. understand what it's like to be on the other side of that transaction. Because if I see people treating service people badly, it gives me a lot of insight into the kind of person they are. Mm-hmm. You will never, you won't even, you'll never see me treat a bad service person badly. I know it's hard. I know that they deal with crappy people all day long, oh, yeah. you know? Um, but the very simple thing. If I'm in, like, I'm in a restaurant happened today. My glass of tea was half, done it wasn't empty and she just showed up with another glass of tea yeah. right how many times have you had to ask somebody to refill your drink think about the difference in the mm-hmm. dining experience from what happened today i'd have to say a word she just turned up with two glasses of tea for me and you yep because we were we were halfway through our well, it was before that's about anticipating need that's a, because here's the thing she might be and this is where i think thinking about the golden rule she may say to herself, well, I only ever drink one glass of tea, or maybe I'm only going to drink one glass of tea because I'm watching how much sugar I drink, or I'm mm-hmm. only going to do whatever. Mm-hmm. So if, if it was due unto me, when I finish this glass of tea, I don't want another one. Mm-hmm. Right? So if she treats them like me, she may, if she treats me like she would want to be treated, she's never going to turn up with more tea. Mm-hmm. But I want more. I yeah. want another glass. Yeah. So one of, in business, I think, I try to tell people to focus on the platinum rule and the, and in order to get there, you got to figure out what they want mm-hmm. and then deliver. Now their expectation can't be irrational, right? Like they can't have hired you to do, you know, a hundred hours of work at $200 an hour, you know, for 20 grand and then expect you to do 400 hours of work. Yeah. That's not fair. But if you, if you will treat people the way they want to be treated, mm-hmm. you will get far, far. Yeah. Like you'll be amazed at how much people will continue to work with you or to be around you. Yeah. Like you said, they'll stay around. And that's the over delivering part is that, um, when you, when you, when you're in that extra mile and it, and it doesn't matter, like, like we were saying, it doesn't matter what industry you're in with the extra mile part, because I've worked in, all kind of different fields and we've both been in this same extra mile part is that there, there truly is. There's, there's not many people that will go the extra, like you said, even if it's a hundred hour job or, you know, the guy gets a, a project he knows is going to take a certain amount of time is doing more than it was expected is always a good thing. And that's kind of where we, cause I've, I got a couple of younger guys that work with me. And they haven't done as much life as I have, but they're, they're really smart guys, intelligent, hard workers. And one of the things that, that I think they see the most that we do that's kind of a part of our MO is that we do more than basically we get paid for, right? Like we put good value on what we have and, you know, we're worth every 
penny of it, but because for me, it's not about money. And that goes back to the money thing again is like, yeah, we want to make money, but we're doing what we do because we, we know that we can help people and make a difference in their business because there's so many people, whether they podcast or sell cars or uh, dentist office, it doesn't matter what you do. Most people know enough about social media just to communicate and do memes and share stuff, whatever. But when they get into the nuts and bolts of, oh my goodness, I need to run an ad because my business is slow or, you know, or maybe I need to do a, a commercial. Maybe I need to start a YouTube channel. Maybe I need to do this. Most people can't do it. And it goes back to what you said before, whether it's 50000 to get the assistant or somebody like, well, goodness, $2,500 a month, you know, to, to, to do this marketing, whatever. I, I can't do that. We can't afford to do that. We well, can't afford not to. I mean, if you're, cause most people think if they're, Oh, okay. If I keep doing the same thing, every, if you're not growing in business, you're, you're dying. And I, I truly believe that after years of just business, especially in today's economies and the cycles and with so many big industries coming through, because believe me, if you're running ads right now on social media in your industry, you're not the only one. You just don't understand, but there's probably 20 other in your industry and in your area that are running ads too. So you better hope that your ads are possibly outdoing theirs. And the only way to know that is you got to know the business. So that's, that's kind of where we come in. So let's talk real specifically about just so people understand like what, Talk to me about what an engagement looks like with your firm. So I'm normally we're talking about small to medium sized businesses, right? Usually. So I'd say probably what, like 50 employees or less, a hundred employees or less, oh, yeah. 200 or less. Like yeah. what, what's the. Pro- probably 200 or less. You know, we work with people that have just a few employees and then uh, others average 50, 60, but up to 200 employees. We recently, and I told you over the phone the other day, I had a one of the largest icons in the world give us a call, which was kind of a it was a surreal moment for me to be able to even talk to a company like that. And uh, ultimately, they went with a large company, which you know is understandable with their you know what they were doing. But yeah, small to medium companies that we work with. So what? Because I know you guys do a number of different things. Mm-hmm. So what would be the thing that would trigger someone saying I need to call brand lift? Is it normally going to be like, I need to just look at my entire marketing structure or I really need help around video content to get put out. And then where does it go out? Mm-hmm. Um, is it about, I don't have a social media presence and I need to develop one. Mm-hmm. What, what generally speaking, what are they, what are they, it's, what's the need they're going to have before yeah. they go? I should call you. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit of all of that, but for the most part, a lot of them, um, in the beginning, we thought it would be people that they don't really know how to do it, what to do. You know, they know how to post and they, th- they think they're knowing what they're doing. They'll call and say, Oh, we need help. But now really in the past three or four months, it's even uh, companies that they're already doing it. They just want to go to another level with it so that they can take whoever's off, whoever's doing it now, they want to take them off of it so they can spend more time on other things. So for us, 
you know, a typical call would be like, Hey, I saw you guys on social media, uh, checked out your website. It's awesome. Looks like you guys could probably definitely help us. And then I'll just go through a discovery call with them. Say, all right, what are you currently doing? Because that's where I usually start. It's like, what kind of advertising do you do now? Is it, you know, postcards, paper, billboard. Are you doing Facebook ads? Are you doing Instagram ads? What are all the things you do? So we'll check that out first. Kind of analyze that. Um, figure out if they're doing retargeting, all these things. And for the most part, a lot of people are they're doing something. So my goal is not to get them to spend a lot more money on marketing. I want to make sure at first that they're spending it in the right place, like whatever they've got allocated now. And usually that leads to, you know, stop doing this, do this. And as I'm helping them, um, I usually identify a lot of things that are, they're, they're not doing, which could be better. I can, like we have a tool for looking at somebody's website we can tell if the website is pixeled, Facebook pixeled for retargeting. And if it's not, I'll bring that up. So there's, there's things that just like with any business or company or his consultants that you can do a discovery call, you can figure out what they're, what they're missing, find out what the real pain points are. And one of the things I've discovered um, over the past year is that a lot of the people that I talk to, it's not just marketing that they're missing out on. Well, as I've gone a little deeper, um, you know, being in sales all my life is that a lot of them are having problems with their, their sales and follow-up as well. So I've kind of got into a little bit of the coaching on that side too, because you can go to any agency right now, you know, bigger agency and, and get somebody to do your Facebook ads and social media management. They'll get you leads. Anybody that knows what they're doing like we are can get you the leads you want. 2020, that's not good enough anymore because agencies like that are a dime a dozen. Now, like for me, I think where the edges that I have is that they get the expertise of my side of being able to not only get the leads, but coach them into how they need to follow up with these leads. We even have, we even have a software to help them follow up too. We've got some automation you're talking about that they can basically, the leads come in, we have it an automated system to where it will reach out to that client right away. And they even set up a campaign to keep following up until it's really time for them to jump in and kind of uh, take care of the, the transaction. So there's some drip marketing. There's some, yeah, you know, little, initial contact stuff, a little bit of everything. So, I mean, we, d we can do something as simple as somebody calls us and says, Hey, we need, um, can you just manage our, uh, our Facebook? Uh, yep. Um, can you manage all of our social, which, you know, we've got a couple of clients, they've got nine social channels. So we do all of theirs. We do, uh, some, some of the video production, uh, SEO and PPC. A lot of people don't really know, know what that is, but that's really what helps drive traffic to your site, you know, search engine optimization and PPCs, paper, paper click. A lot of those things are still alive and going and they work depends on what kind of business that you have. You know, people ask me all the time, what about websites? You know, do I need to get a website? Well, there's a lot of companies that do need a, a full website, but there's also people depending on what they're doing. They may need just a, what I call a one page website, which is more so like a, a landing page. But you know, 10 years ago, 
people were preaching, oh, you got to have a big website. Do that. No, you don't. If you're, uh, I talked to a gentleman yesterday, called me, asked me some from advice. He was a roofer, independent roofer. Um, I think he's actually the, the sales side of it. And he was talking about a website. I was like, no, bro, you don't need a full website. Just one page website, little information. Your main thing is try to capture name, number, email, where you can get back in touch with them. So something as, as simple as that to full-blown, you know, setting up text automation, email marketing, PPC, SEO, uh, ads, uh, YouTube, anything that has to do with you wanting to get more business or if you're having problems with, you know, branding, because a lot of people don't realize, too, that in the biggest um, – era of our lives is like it's so important for branding even if you have your own business or you work with somebody you're your own brand and I learned this when I was with a com- uh, loan company I realized real quick from one of the mentors is like yeah you work for ABC company but you are you you're Sean Greenway that you are a brand and when you start to realize that and act like that and do daily things like that that's when you will be able to grow your business. And that goes back to the videos and all that. When I started that, I was like, yep, here we go. Yeah. I'll give you a great sort of my own personal example about that, that I, that wasn't done intentionally, but just sort of the power of what I would consider a personal brand. So most people that know me think about Mercer Mm -hmm. in conjunction with me, you know, not Roy Mercer, not Roy Mercer, not RD by God Mercer, but Mercer university. Cause you know, I went there and obviously I'm always posting about it. I'm always wearing the clothes. I go to the football games. I'm real involved with the university. Um, and, and it's almost like a funny thing, right? Because I'm still really engaged with my college. I think part of that is because like the thing we talked about with the baby shit green trailer and stuff, you know, I was a first generation college student. I mean, my parents were infinitely proud that I graduated from college. I was proud of myself, you know what I mean? For doing that. Cause no one in my family had ever done it before. Um, so I have a lot of ownership right of the place. Well, it still happens all the time now. My phone will ring. My inbox will light up. I'll get an IM on Facebook about all kinds of Mercer things, right? Like, hey, my next door neighbor's kid is really interested in Mercer. Can you tell me about this? Yeah. Hey, do you know what the admissions process is for Mercer? Hey, we were thinking about going to some football games this year. You know, what do you do? You know, how yeah. do we get in touch with so-and-so? Hey, and like, that's just where people, my brand, Sean Arnold, yep. the human yep. out in the world is associated with the university mm-hmm. and they view me as an information source because my brand, part of my personal brand is this connection with the university. Mm-hmm. And again, those aren't leads, right? In a mm-hmm. sense, in a business sense, but they are. Like if you think about converting that into a business you know, scenario, I'm a guy people call if they have a question about Mercer. Now I don't have a business structure built around yeah. that, right? But it's conceptually the same thing. It's like, make yourself an expert, put yourself out there. So people go, if I want to know about this, this is the person I need to be talking to. Yeah, And that's how that organic thing happens. And, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. I don't think people, this is something I'm actually in the middle of trying to get better about in my professional life, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm an IT strategist, right? I go around and meet with these big companies and these 
you know, with these high powered people and talk to them about how they should restructure their technology so they their business can be more aligned and more efficient and all these other things we've talked about. And I do that for a living and there aren't a lot of us, right? It's not like it's a ubiquitous kind of job. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just go do it, right? Like I've been doing it for 10 years, right? It takes a long time to learn how to do it well. But like, I don't nearly do as much as I should do about Sean Arnold, the IT guy, like the guy that understands IT strategy. Mm -hmm. I should be writing articles and putting them on LinkedIn. I should be blogging about, I mean, I should be doing these things to where regardless of what company I work for, if people in their mind should go, oh my gosh, I have a question about security, Mm -hmm. right? Relative to our entire Mm -hmm. IT or whatever. They shouldn't think about the company name. No, no. They they should should be like, oh, I should send Sean a note and ask him what he thinks. And I'm just not as good as it as I should be. And now that we've talked about this today and stuff, like now I feel motivated. Like I need to go and start working on that a little more because, because yeah. I think some people do know that, but I'm not actively trying to work to say, to put it out there and to go, yeah, this is what I do, right? Like I'm a subject matter expert in this area. It's mm-hmm. my career, right? It's my mm-hmm. thing. So, so people do start thinking like cybersecurity, mm-hmm. um, you know, network architecture. Mm-hmm. That's I should call Sean mm-hmm. and then what, and see what he thinks. That's exactly right because it doesn't matter. Just like myself, if I if I shut down tomorrow and brand lift, you know, with my brand, there will still people call me. I still like you're talking about the Mercer thing. I've got on my phone right now. Um, I still get people that ask me about loans. You know, I've been out for a while, but I still help them. I'm like, yeah, when you thinking about selling whatever, let me hook you up with this agent or that loan officer. And uh, so they remember you. And it goes back, uh, Jay-Z, he says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. man. That's right. And if you, if anybody, if you understand that and you realize that you are. So just like in your profession, my profession, I could literally shut down Brandlift tomorrow. And a year from now, the people that have worked with me know who I am. They would still call, whether if, even if I started something else up, I feel like a lot of them would still call me because of the the personal brand that I have. And in a lot of ways, of course, we do what we do, like IT, media marketing right now. But we're, we're, we're beyond that because you're, you're a great connector, and so am I. They may call me and say, hey, do you know how to do this or can you, who would be good for that? So a personal brand is not just because you, you know, your your real estate agent or your IT or you know or marketing or whatever your brand is who you are and what you can provide and they will remember that far longer than a company name i mean i really feel like that i mean people would argue about that as like uh you know it's different if you're um, a logo an icon you know coca-cola or something but um but you're still i mean brand think think really think about that all these people that are brands. LeBron James is a brand. He may play for the Lakers right now, but he's a brand. Jordan. <laughs> I mean, we could oh, go on and on, man. Definitely. And what is what? And what is Jordan? Yeah, that's, definitely. That's Jordan. so many things, right? And that's what. And I don't care. Like you know, I don't. I'm not even close to money that I would love to have. But it that don't matter. Money don't. Money part don't matter about it because I know a lot of good. 
um, great men and women that have a good brand that don't have, you know, millions of dollars in their bank account. A brand is, you know, is, is, um, is your story sometimes. And it's also what your, can be your reputation. And, you know, I remember back, you were talking about the guy putting stuff on negative stuff on Facebook. I think I got back on Facebook, um, probably about, I don't know, six years ago. I took, I took a few years off cause, um, I don't even know why at the time, but I got back on. I was like, you know what? I'm only going to put positive out there because, you know, that's, that's who I try to be anyway. I, I want positive back. So, um, and now all these years are so funny that I'm in this business now. I'm like, I look back and it's like, all right, of course I'm not running for ever running for president, but go look back. I try to put just good stuff cause I want to inspire somebody. And from time to time I'll have people that I'll run into that, I, that I know that were friends on Facebook or talk to them on the phone or something. And they'll make comments about it. It's like, man, I, I love some of that stuff you put out and I don't, I don't have as much on there as I used to, the inspirational stuff, but it goes back to this and what I want to talk about is people, whether you know it or not, people watch you. I mean, people, people see, like if you've got so many friends on Facebook, not everybody. And we, we, we talk about this in some of our classes. Not everybody's going to just hit like or love, even if they like the picture or the ad or whatever. And re, you got to realize that. So don't fall in love with likes and follows because none of that matters. But when you, when you run into people and, and they tell you they saw something and um, they they got inspired because of it, that may, you know that makes you feel good about it and know that they're listening, right? So just like with your podcast, even though that bonehead jabroni did that, <laughs> there's a hundred other people to replace him that, that are probably sitting there and go like, man, this guy's cool. I, I wish I could do that. Maybe I will. Honey, I'm gonna buy a mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yelling in the next room. So that's the thing is that um, it don't matter. It, it, go full circle this whole conversation. Do you? This is our life, right? It's your life. Chase your dreams. Take risk. Sometimes you got to take calculated risk, but then sometimes you just got to say, "Screw it, just do it." And I would recommend, you know, based on the things way I've done in the past be a little bit prepared for it. Sometimes I've jumped out there with, with no money plan and, you know, and jumped out of the airplane and like, you can only jump out of the airplane so many times and get halfway down and the parachute opens. Eventually, if you don't have the right plans and this is what me and you talked about, I'm going to jump out of that airplane one day and I'm going to be like, it's going to be like point break. Be like, Oh, here it comes. Quick. You're just hoping and dying that Swayze is going to, Come in, on, come in on your back before you shoot. So that that's why me and you've been talking is like, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of the right things, but I got to get better. And, and that's the whole point of this whole talk we're doing. No matter where you're at, where you're at the bottom or the top, there's always room for improvement. Well, man, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We got, I feel like there's a lot more stuff we could get into and we'll have to do this again. Um, Sean Greenway, my guest, his company is brand lift marketing and it's B R A N D L Y F T dot I O. 
uh, brandlift.io, L-Y-F-T. So go check it out. Um, obviously, if you are in that world where you know some folks or you have issues where you're looking at your marketing posture and how you're leveraging different channels to generate business, it's probably worthwhile to give him a call and talk to him and see if he can help you. Um, and, you know, again, like I, every time when I do this, I hope that people uh, just generally are find find some nuggets in what we talked about today. I'll Because what's great about these conversations is I'll listen to this again, you know, a month from now, six months from now, and I'll go, oh, man, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can pull something out. And that's another big motivation for why I did these was like being able to actually record these so they live on, right? Because I think there's, you know, there's good stuff throughout here. But I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, man. It's been um, a blast. Appreciate spending a little time. And uh, we will definitely do it again. So, again, it's Brandlift, B-R-A-N-D-L-Y-F-T dot I-O. Um, Sean Greenway is the guest. You can find him on all the relevant uh, websites and social medias. Um, I am at Sean ATL if you want to come find me on uh, the Twitters. And, of course, uh, TMIPod.com is the website. And the podcast is – you're listening to it now on whatever, but it's on all of your relevant um uh, podcasting channels. So, um, thanks for everybody for sticking with us and, uh, we will see you again soon. And until next time, press on.